morning. I'm Eric Lubert. I'm your campus pastor down in Stanford, and it's a privilege for me to be here with you today. And uh, I want to give a little plug for Stanford. It's your campus, right? And it's small. Down in, we need some of you to come visit, all right? Will you guys come visit us? We need to, to you, for you to also get plugged in a little bit down there. We're small. We need, we need a critical mass down there. So think about checking it out. That's my plug for Stanford. Let me, let me pray, and then we'll get started. Father God, I thank you for your great love for us. I thank you. We just sang about how you are our peace. You're the Prince of Peace. You're the everlasting Father. You're a great creator. You have a plan and purpose for our life. I pray that your Holy Spirit would descend upon this place, upon me and each person here, that your word would become alive to us. And we'd be excited about who we are in you. Thank you, God, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I'm the campus pastor in Stanford. I also own a small business along with my family. And uh, I've been married for 30 years, almost 31 years, to my beautiful wife, Annalisa. Raise your hand. She's shy, but she's gorgeous. She's the best wife. And I have three kids, so our son Peter, 29, is currently driving across the United States, moving to Oregon, and uh, our daughter, I'll tell you, we dropped her off in California last weekend, Azusa Pacific University, a long way from home. How many of you are parents, dads? Raise your hand. I'm telling you, that was tough. The tears were coming down a little bit as we watched her walk across the parking lot. She didn't even turn around at the end of the parking lot. Man, that was hard. I know many of you have experienced that even recently. It seemed like yesterday she was a baby, bringing her home. And then we blinked. All three of them grew up. You know, it goes by quick. My mom always told us, put a big rock on their head when they're little. Keep them from growing up. But we, <laughs> we forgot to do that, I think, and they grew up crazy. But thank goodness we still have Becca. Becca, in the front. Becca, where are you? Right there, 16 years old, Becca. She's a junior at Trumbull High, and uh, she is going to be driving soon. Watch out. So being a husband and a dad are part of my identity, as long, along with many of you as well. And we're going to talk about our identity today. We're going to talk about, I want you to ask yourself the question, who am I? Ask yourself that. Who am I to the core? Who am I? Who has God made me to be? You know, being a husband and a dad are part of my identity along with other things, but who am I really to the core? Did I lose part of my identity when I dropped my daughter off at school? Did part of it disappear? Is part of, is my identity my work, my career, my job? Is that who I really am? What if I lose my job? Do I stop being me? Or is it what I achieve? Is it what you achieve in school, your achievements in business or sports? Is that who you are? Is it your political party? Is it your status at the country club or maybe even your struggles? Maybe you struggle with alcohol, or maybe you're divorced, you say, that's who I am. 
Maybe it's your looks or what others say or think about you. Maybe it's your age. Maybe it's your physical limitations or your race. Is that who you are? Is that your identity? You know, identity theft is the fastest growing crime in the world. In the United States alone, it's a huge problem. 15, that's an old study even. 15 million U.S. residents per year are victims of identity theft, which equals over $50 billion stolen from their accounts or whatever. Recent study says that 25% of you have been a victim in some part of identity theft. But besides financial theft, there are other identity thieves. And the first one I want to look at is our enemy, the devil. Satan, Satan wants to steal your identity. There's a spiritual war waging over your identity, and your enemy is attacking your true identity. He wants to erase it. He wants to destroy it. He wants to pervert it. He wants to hide your true identity from you. Has your identity been stolen? Have you believed the lies from the enemy? So that's one of the identity thieves. Another one is people, maybe good intentions sometimes. But people speak into our lives. It may have been a long time ago, a coach, a peer, a parent, a teacher. You had a dream, and you gave up on it. They molded you into someone different than what God promised and intended for you. You see, God intends you to have a full life, a full life of meaning and purpose. I have been told that I am a failure, that I'm a loser, that I'm fearful. Maybe some of you have been told those things and they hurt. Those curses cut deep and they cause pain, resentfulness, guilt, and shame. So we have our enemy, the devil, we have people, and then we have media and culture. Right? Our media and culture says dress this way. You know, I, I'll throw this in. I even I wore my suit for the first service because I wanted everybody to, you know, I wanted to fit in. And then I got changed into my normal clothes or whatever. So we want to fit in, right? And media and culture says that to us too. They say, look like them, act like them. Your Facebook or Instagram feed says this is what it looks like to be cool. So we've got media, culture, people, and then finally, ourselves. All of this stuff, what the devil says, what others says, what the media says, it gets into our heads, and we start to believe it. We believe the lies. And we say stuff to ourselves like, you have to earn God's acceptance in order to be loved by him, in order for him to love you, or you don't really matter. You're worthless. Or how about this one? Remember that sin? Remember that sin you committed? You can't really be fully forgiven for that. We start saying these things and we get discouraged. You know, that's the number one tool of the enemy is to cause discouragement in our lives, we, to get us to repeat these lies to ourselves until we believe them. 
I usually don't say this. I never say this to people, but we need to tell the devil to go to hell, to get out of our lives. If you believe the lies of the enemy, you will miss your true identity. We only really know ourselves through Jesus. If you have been transformed by his power, you are a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. That's in Corinthians 5.17, and Ephesians says that we are his workmanship. We are created in Christ to do good works. We're made by him. I'd like you to turn to, in your device, or hopefully it's on the screen or your Bible, to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, it says, this is written by the Apostle Peter. He's, he's writing it to God's children. They're scattered abroad and about. And he says to them, but you are a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You're a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter writes and he says that we are a chosen people. God chose you. God shows you he, you are completely accepted by God. He wants you. You know, we all want to be chosen. We buy houses, we buy cars and join clubs and wear clothes in order to be accepted by our peers. We want to be accepted and included. But we also have experienced rejection. Someone laughed at your dream. I mentioned that. Someone laughed at your dream, so you gave up on it. And we all remember, back, go back. <laughs> you all remember on the playground, when they were choosing up teams for kickball, you did not want to be chosen last. You did not want to be rejected. You wanted to be included. And you know what? That's the opposite of what God says and does. He says that you are totally accepted. He chose you before everything. You know, in the book of Psalms, Psalm 139, there's a picture of a baby in the mother's womb. And God says, I know who you are. I have a plan and purpose for you. I'm forming you. I'm forming you. I formed you. I saw you. I know you. But it goes way back before your mom's womb. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 says, I'm going to read 4 and 5. It says, for he, God, shows us in him before the creation of the world <laughs> to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will. Before creation, before he spun the planets, 
before he spoke the stars into existence, before he put the galaxies into place, you were on his mind. That blows me away. That before time as we know it, God had a plan. He knew you. He saw you. He wanted you. And guess what? He says that his love for you is not based on your performance. What you do or what you have done. If you know God through his son Jesus... God is your father, and you are his adopted sons and daughters. You're the adopted sons and daughters of our father, the king. We are heirs of the king of kings. In Galatians, in Galatians it says, Galatians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, it says, because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Daddy, Abba, Father, so you're no longer a slave but a son, and since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. You're no longer a slave but an heir. And in Romans chapter 8, it continues and it says, we are sons of God. For he did not receive, we did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And we cry to him, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are God's children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may be also would share in his glory. Co-heirs with Christ, children of the King, forgiven and complete in Him. Do you really believe that you are an heir of the King of Kings? I struggle with that. I don't always get it. <laughs> I don't always feel it. You are an heir of the King of kings. Do you live and act like an heir? You know, I was thinking, <clears throat> what does an heir do? You know, we have royals in our world, right? And they live a certain way. And, and what is, if they know the kingdom's coming to them, how do they live? How do they act? They act differently. They carry themselves differently. They even walk differently. From an, a young age, they learn to manage the king's affairs. They represent the king, right? They're ambassadors. If they travel, they represent the king. They would carry the authority of the king when they speak. And they live with a confidence, knowing who they are in, in the kingship, in the, in the royal family, right? Not an arrogance, but a confidence. Are we doing that as children of the king? Verse 15 says that we are not given a spirit that makes us a slave to fear, but we have received the spirit of sonship. That word sonship refers to an adopted, chosen son with a full share of the inheritance. We need to live with that fully in mind, to soak it in. That's our identity. 
to live with an eternal mindset. This is not it. We are invited to the party. I want you all to look around at people around you. Look at, look at your neighbor in here. Look at them. They're going to the party too. They're invited to the party. Are you treating them like an heir? The people in this room, the people around you that you just looked at are sons and daughters of the kings of, king of kings. Are you treating them like that? What about your wife? Her dad is God the Father. Are you treating her with the love and respect due to her as a child and daughter of the king? What about your husband? Are you treating him with the love and respect as a son of the king and your kids? And kids, are you treating your parents that way? We are God's kids. I want to go back to 1 Peter chapter 2. It says there that we are a royal priesthood, that we are holy. God says that you belong to me. You see, in Christ, you are extremely valuable. In fact, according to God, you are priceless. What makes something valuable? I wrote down some thoughts about what gives something value. You know, if I were to paint a portrait, if I was to do a work of art, it would not have much value. <laughs> Maybe my mom would pay for it. She'd probably buy it. But most of you wouldn't want it. But if I had an original Picasso or a work of art designed by Michelangelo, it would have great value. It would be priceless because of the creator, because of the designer of the work of art. God designed you. You are priceless to him. He created you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. The second thing that brings value to something is who owns it. And again, what, what would you pay for my smelly old sneakers? If I put them up for auction, not much, right? But if Michael Jordan or LeBron James sneakers were up for auction, it would go for a lot of money because of who owned it. Or, or my bed or Abraham Lincoln's bed. What do you think, think would go for more? It'd be Abraham Lincoln's, obviously. Because of the owner. Because of the owner. First Peter 2.10 says that once we were not a people, but now you are the people of God. He, you belong to him. He owns you. Do you know who you really belong to? Do you really know it? The Old Testament, Deuteronomy, says that you are a treasured possession of God. Isaiah says that you're precious to him. Luke 12, 24 says that you are greatly valued by God. So our value is determined by the designer, by the owner. But there's something else that gives value to something. It is what is someone willing to pay for it? <laughs> you know, we all... Uh, Many of you own maybe a home or a car or maybe you have a collection. You may have had it appraised and you, you have a, a number in your mind of what all that stuff's worth. I've got news for you. 
It's only worth what someone is willing to pay for it. You may think your house is worth a million dollars, and if someone will only pay 500,000, that's what it's worth. It's only willing, it's only worth what someone is willing to pay for it. The greatest price, the greatest price, the greatest ransom of all time was paid for you. Jesus gave his life. He gave his all. He gave his son. The father gave his son for you. 1 Corinthians 7.23 says that you were bought with a price, a very great price. 1 Peter 1.18 <clears throat> 1 Peter 1.18 says, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down from your forefathers, but you were bought with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. You were bought with a great, great price. How much are you worth? How much are you worth to God? What's your value? Jesus said, you're worth this much. He said, you're worth this much to me. You're worth this much to my Father. 2,000 years ago, God paid the ransom for you. He said, you are of the greatest value to me. He sent his son Jesus to take a beating. Thorns were pressed into his skull. He was nailed to a Roman cross. His blood poured out. And I am convinced that Jesus looked down when he said, Father, forgive them. And he saw the Roman soldiers at his feet. And he saw the Pharisees mocking him. And he saw the crowds. But he looked beyond that through time. And he saw you. And he said, you are valuable to me. I want you. I want you to redeem you. And that's how much you're worth. You are totally forgiven. You're clean. You're accepted. That's your identity. That's your identity. You're greatly valued and pursued by God. Do you know him? Do you know his forgiveness? Do you know him as, as your father? You can today. We have a great prayer team here in the church, and I'm going to read some statements from Scripture in a moment. We're all going to stand for that. And we're going to proclaim who we are in God. And the band's going to come up, and the prayer team's going to come up, and then we're going to sing a final song. I'm telling you now because I'm not going to announce it later. When we sing that song, if God is tugging at your heart, if you don't know him as your savior, if you're not forgiven, come up and pray for someone. Get to know him today. Or if you're a Christian and you're like, I have believed these lies my whole life of who people say I am or the devil or the media. And God, I want to believe in who you say I am, my true identity. So let's stand up.
We're going to do something I hope that you will do with me. I know you will, because God says raise our hands in the holy sanctuary, so we're going to lift our hands up, and we're going to proclaim who we are in Christ. I'm going to read these off and just soak them in. I am victorious. I have been justified. I belong to God. I am a member of Christ's body. I'm assured that all things work together for good. I am confident that God will perfect the work that he has begun in me. I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm hidden with Christ in God. I have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-discipline. I am blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. I am chosen before the creation of the world. I am adopted as his child. I am in him. I am forgiven. I have purpose. I have hope. I am included. I am sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. I am a personal witness of Jesus Christ. I am salt and light of the earth. I am a minister of reconciliation. I am alive in Christ. I am raised up with Christ. I'm God's workmanship. I have access to the Father. I am secure. I'm his holy temple. I am a dwelling of the Holy Spirit. I can approach God with freedom and confidence. I can grasp how wide, long, high, and deep Christ's love is. I have been called. I can be humble patient, gentle, and loving to others. I can be kind and compassionate to others. I can give thanks for everything. I don't always have to have my own agenda. I can honor God through my marriage. I can parent my children with composure. I can be strong. I have God's power. I'm dead to sin. I am not alone. I'm his disciple. I'm prayed for by Jesus Christ. I am united with other believers. I am promised eternal life. I am promised a full life. I'm chosen and dearly loved. I'm set free. I'm crucified with Christ. I'm more than a conqueror. I'm safe. I am no longer condemned. I am overcoming. I am born again. I'm a new creation. I'm Christ's ambassador. <laughs> I am redeemed from the curse of the law. I'm qualified to share in his inheritance. I am a child of God. <laughs>